Euronet Plus Panorama is a weekly review of European news broadcast by our network of EU radio stations. Welcome to Euronet Plus Panorama. I'm Jo, and this week I've asked my colleagues around the network for their take on the outcome of the recent Hungarian elections, as well as on what impact the conflict in Ukraine might have on the Western Balkans' EU accession prospects. On Sunday the 3rd of April, Hungary's general election saw Viktor Orban comfortably secure a fourth consecutive term as Prime Minister. It is probably no coincidence that just two days later, the European Commission announced that it would finally be triggering the conditionality mechanism, which links the payment of EU funds to respect for the rule of law. Budapest is facing criticism over restrictions on media freedom, conflicts of interest and corruption. In a conversation with Bulgarian National Radio, Adelina Marini, a master's student at Maastricht University's European Law School, said that nobody should be shocked by the Commission's actions. Indeed, in her view, they had been far too long in the making. Четвърти мандат на Орбан означава, че той вече влиза в следващата фаза на Орбан's fourth term means that he is now entering the next phase of a dictator's life, which is much more difficult and unpleasant, and we will need to wait and see what the consequences are. I am certainly not shocked by the activation of the regulation. We are after all talking about a violation of European law, so there should be nothing shocking about it. What is shocking is the behavior of a country like Hungary, which is not fulfilling its commitments within the EU, commitments that it had already accepted as a candidate for EU membership. The EU is a community based on the rule of law, dignity, respect for fundamental human rights, pluralism, democracy and representative democracy, and you cannot apply another system once you become an EU member. This is a breach of contract. If you don't like this EU, invoke Article 50 of the Treaty on European Union, like Britain did. Following the Commission's announcement, Renew Europe MEP Petrus Austrevicius told our colleagues at Lithuania's Genu Radius that Orban now faces challenging times. Failure to uphold the rule of law or the principles of liberal democracy could cost Orbán billions. I remind you that Hungary receives tens of billions more from the EU than it pays into its budget. This is a very important tool for economic growth. Hungary is proud of its finances, as is Orbán. So are the Hungarian people who receive support for the development of various projects. I hope that this time the European Commission will not simply talk the talk, but also walk the walk. Orban certainly seems to be finding himself increasingly isolated. Speaking to Estonia's Kuku Radio, the Baltic country's former foreign and defence minister, Urmas Rensalu, strongly criticised the language used by Viktor Orban in his post-election victory speech, in which he referred to Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky as his opponent. This was certainly an ugly and inappropriate comment against the leader of a neighbouring country that is under military attack from Russia. As things stand, with the incumbent government in Hungary remaining in post, 
Other European countries must certainly put pressure on Hungary to abandon such rhetoric and also to refrain from taking practical steps that are not conducive to full support for Ukraine. There is no alternative here. Konrad Popwavsky, a Central European specialist at the Warsaw-based Centre for Eastern Studies, points out that Budapest has so far shown little enthusiasm either for supporting Ukraine or for backing sanctions against Russia. He cites historical national animosities relating to the treatment of Ukraine's Hungarian minority as lying behind this stance, but explains that Budapest's attempt at neutrality may be difficult to maintain going forward. Polsky Radio reports. This has, so far, paid off electorally. It seems to be difficult for Fidesz to back down, given the years of investing in relations with Russia and the years of investing in animosity with Ukraine. So you can see in all the polls that the Fidesz voter has become a bit more skeptical of a decidedly pro-Western orientation. And while a certain degree of neutrality and balance is welcome, it may be difficult to maintain this policy because we can hardly expect successful relations, even economic relations, with Russia in the coming years. It is more likely that joint initiatives will be scaled back. Fidesz may find it increasingly difficult to defend this policy. Indeed, Lithuanian MEP Petrus Austrevichus suggests in his interview with Zinu Radias that Orban may already have succeeded in destroying his long-standing friendship with two key allies, Poland and the Czech Republic, and that this could prove to be a fatal error. Orban made an unbelievable mistake when he started an open controversy with Zelensky when his visits to Russia came at the worst possible time. He thought he was playing some kind of independent foreign policy game. That really annoyed his main allies. In particular, I believe it was Kaczynski who turned Poland's back on Hungary. This is a very serious signal, a deadly political signal for Hungary, because if Poland were to vote in favour of sanctions, Hungary would suffer a huge defeat. Jarosław Kaczynski, the leader of Poland's ruling Law and Justice Party, is just one of the key figures in Warsaw who have not minced their words over Viktor Orban's reluctance to speak out against Moscow, including over the widely condemned massacre in Bucha. Poland's premier, Mateusz Morawiecki, has also declared that it is his mission to help truth prevail. We must denounce all negative, inappropriate, hurtful and damaging words that come out of the Hungarian capital. The Hungarian government must also be unequivocal in its condemnation of what is happening in Ukraine. There must be no exceptions here. This is a choice between truth and falsehood, and we are certainly on the side of truth. For this reason, I will spare no effort and no resources to shake everyone's conscience. Meanwhile, a meeting of foreign ministers from the so-called Central Five, or C5, countries, Austria, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Slovakia and Slovenia, took place near Prague on Tuesday. Those present pledged to continue helping Ukraine and its refugees. Russian sanctions were also a key topic of discussion. Slovak Foreign Minister Ivan Korchok stressed that an embargo on Russian energy imports should be the ultimate goal, reports Slovenian member station RTV Slo, with his Slovenian counterpart Andrzej Logar insisting that we must not fail to learn the lessons of the past. The situation where we shall not repeat the mistake we did after annexation of Crimea 
when there were big words of how we shall cut our ties of energy dependence on Russia, but at the end we finished even more tied to Russia, now the deeds shall follow, and we have a certain period of time where we shall cut this dependency. Yet Hungary's foreign minister, Peter Siato, said that his government cannot support sanctions against Russian oil and gas imports, as this would threaten its energy security, its commitment to which was part of the reason for its strong electoral performance. On Monday the 11th of April, Bulgarian MEP Radim Kanev co-hosted a conference in Sofia on the war in Ukraine and its impact on the Western Balkans. Prior to the conference, Kanev told BNR that Russia's aim is to cut the Western Balkans off from Western influence. With this latest aggression, the Kremlin regime is clearly trying to destabilize every region that is not entirely within NATO structures. The military aggression against Ukraine is apparently aimed at destroying Ukraine's 30 years of statehood and creating a satellite state like Belarus. The next destabilization target, based on Putin's policies so far, could be Bosnia and Herzegovina, whose statehood is extremely unstable, and where for years now, with the kind assistance of the Kremlin regime, Dodik, the president of the Republic of Srpska, has consistently posed a threat to the integration of the Bosnia-Herzegovina Confederation. The breakdown of this confederation would have nightmarish economic and political consequences for the entire Balkan region. According to Kanev, the war in Ukraine could therefore positively influence the Western Balkans' EU accession prospects. For more than 20 years, Albania, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Kosovo, Montenegro, North Macedonia and Serbia have had their eyes on EU membership. But the EU remains divided on the issue. At a press conference held on Monday to mark Albanian PM Edi Rama's visit to Berlin, Germany's Chancellor Olaf Scholz reiterated his commitment to EU enlargement. The Western Balkans and their integration into the European Union are very important to me. I have said on many occasions that making this integration possible is one of the biggest tasks facing Europe right now. The Western Balkans are of strategic importance to Germany. They are part of Europe and part of the European family. Scholz went on to stress that the Russian attack on Ukraine makes the need to open accession talks with Albania and North Macedonia even more pressing, as German broadcaster AMS reports. We are living in new times, something that is also linked to the Russian aggression, and this has raised many Europeans' awareness of what we have in common in the EU and of the need to join forces. Now is therefore probably a good time to push these things forward. Eddie Rama insisted that the EU gives a go-ahead to Albania's accession talks at June's European Council. He added that if Bulgaria's opposition to opening talks with North Macedonia continues to be a stumbling block, the two countries' accession processes will have to be decoupled. Ukraine, for its part, applied for EU membership on the 1st of March. 
The Commission hopes to present its application for membership to the Council this summer. That's all for this week. Join us again next week for more insight into the news as reported from around the EU. 